from Verona, Italia, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, as always, I'm Zach Jabal. And uh, this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, I'm not in New York. I'm in Italy and also just got done with a really long wine dinner. So hopefully this will be a lot more fun than usual. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good day. It's a good day to podcast because Adam has been out drinking in, in Verona and I've been at a wine tasting myself for most of the day here in the middle of the day in Seattle. So uh, you're getting a little little more unfiltered version of the Vine Pair podcast than typical. So. Oh, God, I hope I don't say something stupid. Uh, you know, we'll just apologize later. Uh, how's Verona, so, man? Yeah. You having a good time? Yeah, man. Verona's awesome. So I'm here judging Five Star Wines. So Five Star Wines is uh, this initiative uh, on behalf of uh, Vin Italy, Stevie Kim, um, to basically create a, a really amazing guidebook of some of the best wines of the world. So there have been some really incredible wines that have been submitted. You know, we we judge them. It's really it's really weird. I don't know if you've ever sat on a judging panel before. So to sort of demystify that for the audience. So basically, the way at least it works here is you know, producers submit their wines and you sit on teams of six. So there's like a lead taster. That is not me. Uh, <laughs> and then there's uh, five, there's five other judges. I also don't want the responsibility and there's five other judges. And basically um, they give you usually six flights in the morning uh, and six flights in the afternoon. So all in all, you wind up tasting about 70 to 80 wines a day and usually whites in the morning, reds in the afternoon and you're tasting them blind, um, and then you're scoring them on a scale of one to one hundred, which you know I think is bullshit, but uh-huh. whatever. That's like what the world's come to. And then you discuss your score with the other table, and the table then comes to a consensus of a score of the wine, and that winds up being the score of the wine. And, and so all around you, there's twenty other tables of six doing these same tastings, but they're all tasting different wines. So the like the wines we're tasting, no one else will taste, right? Uh. Um, and then the whole goal is that they make a book, you know, that winds up going out, you know, in the next few months, that's five star wines, 2019, that's full of wines that are rated from, you know, 90 to a hundred. Cause if it doesn't get a 90 or above, it doesn't go in the book. Uh, but it's interesting. I don't, I don't usually do these things. Um, so it's always cool. Cause there's a lot of masters of wine here. I think that's also an interesting thing. Cause like, you know, I think we know the master sommelier in in the United States, but the master of wine is is a big thing around the world. I've realized um, mm-hmm. even much more than the U.S. Uh, for those that don't know, I guess master of wine is through the W set. Um, yeah. So every panel has a master of wine on it. Lots of people in the trade. Really, really interesting. Have you done money much of this stuff before? Uh, nothing quite to that level. I've judged some stuff more locally here in the Northwest, and it's it's sort of a vaguely similar setup typically. But yeah, a lot of tasting of blind wines, you maybe have some idea of, like usually I'm given like a broad category. So like, hey, this is Chardonnay or this is Syrah or whatever. But, you know, you're not given much more than that. You know, the, the issue for me is, for one, as I'm sure you've experienced it pretty quickly, you know, there's an issue of palate fatigue. And as much as, you know, maybe some of the really, really experienced judges have figured out strategies to cope with it. To me, it's like, you know, th- at some point, you just kind of get to get to a place where your palate is not as finely tuned as it once was, because you've been drinking. Oh, and even tell me about it. And even when you're spitting every last as much as you can, you're still absorbing some amount of alcohol, you're, you're still getting, you know, if you're drinking reds, you're still getting lots of tannins and acid and things like that. And it just kind of like, it's part of the reason why, like, you know, I, I have personally – I've sort of stepped away from doing those things for the most part because I don't feel like I can do them very well. And I don't 
I don't know that oh, they. God, I don't feel like I can do them well either. Let's have like a really <laughs> amazing confessional right now about yeah. how I think that like no one wants to admit that they're not a good taster when it comes to tasting in groups. <laughs> yeah, well, it's really hard. It's you very always, difficult. It's hard, and you just hard, and you just man. end up like in the a pressure. place. Yeah, and you always end it's up like in a place I don't where you pee in public. <laughs> and you can't really do justice to some of the wines and that's the part that that bums me out is like you know you never know if you're if the wine that you may have really really enjoyed had you had it at the beginning of the day or at the beginning even of a flight you know if you come to it at the and it's the 17th wine in your flight you know you're just kind of like fuck am i almost well, done yeah, like, then, like dude yeah it's b plus oh, whatever who cares seriously because then you get to a point where you're just like okay fuck don't say B plus. That's that's fine. Pair scoring system. Well, you're fine. Eighty eight or whatever. That way, we're not that way. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I I, I but I completely hear you because you yeah, you get to a point where you're just like, okay, I've been here. So seriously, we get up here and get on the bus to go to the tasting center at seven thirty in the morning. Oh. We are there till seven at night. So there comes a point when you're on wine fifty that you're just like. Uh, let's just get this over with. And yeah. it feels bad. I, I feel bad. I just, I, and that's why there's a lot of people I know that are professional tasters. And this is what they do. You know, yeah. Jamie Good, who writes for us, is one of these people who we'll talk about a little bit later too. Uh, based on our real cut topic for tonight, who this is sort of one of the big things he does is he tastes around the world. And more power to him, man. He's he's really good at it, and he seems to have the stamina that I don't have. I just, I hit a wall. Yep. You know, and I just, I'm like, uh, everything smells like strawberries. Yeah. It's very funny. The first time I ever judged a panel, uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, had to come pick me up because I was like, despite really doing my best to spit everything, I was, you know, after tasting a hundred wines for the day, I was just like lit. And I was like, I'm not sure how to get home. And, uh, so yeah, that is the downside to, to the panels. Um, but apparently they make for a great prelude to a podcast, um, so we they do now I'm <laughs> drinking an amazing wine. So I'm gonna shout this wine out. So I'm drinking vintage Tunina from Her- German vineyard. German, German. Oh yeah. Vineyard. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, 2011. Are you, is it awesome. the Pinot Grigio? No. So this is, uh, this is actually their vintage Tunina. So it's a Bianco Venezia, Venezia Julia. Oh, okay. So it's a blend gotcha. and it's duh fucking licious. Yeah. Um, and it's a 2011 and we were drinking at a dinner. I was, uh, I got to have dinner tonight with Felix, uh, oh, from the family. Nice. And, uh, and then he left me the bottle to bring home, uh, because we hadn't finished it. And I was like, oh, sure. I'll take it back to the hotel. And now <laughs> we're here. Just to paint a picture for you folks, Adam is definitely, sitting in his hotel room at nearly midnight in Verona drinking. I'm guessing despite our previous, uh, admonitions, he's drinking straight from the bottle. Um, and oh, that's totally the, the bottle. No, that's no, the it's, out of, it's out. It's out of the plastic glass. They oh, give you, you by the sink to usually have water. <laughs> late at night. That is the kind of podcast experience you all are getting today. I hope you're happy. That's what you like. That's what everyone loves. So let's talk about uh, pay to play dude. dinner. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the deal. So I know, Two weeks ago, we had Eric Asimov on the podcast. Last week, we teased this. So basically, um, one of the biggest issues that we that, that I've been wanting to chat about for a while and I think is worth talking about in the industry is this idea of the, the consumer not knowing when there has been pay-to-play involved. So we think about this a lot at VinePair because um, – you know, we are, you know, we, we were founded as a media company that really wanted to to take journalistic integrity seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so you know as as people who come from journalism backgrounds right so uh you know i i teach at columbia as a professor in the journalism school uh, i have a journalism degree josh uh as a as a you know creative writing and english degree from emory we we think a lot about uh what the regulations are when it comes to accepting gifts and accepting trips but i think in the alcohol industry as in the music industry, which I came from before this, as in the you know restaurant industry, et cetera, there's a lot of what we call payola, mm-hmm. right? So, and there's a lot of things that the consumer isn't aware of. So there's a lot of uh, producers, um, distributors, and then just you know consumer boards that bring people on trips or send them wine or send them spirits or hook them up at a bar with the expectation that they will write about that thing. And so I thought it was really interesting when Eric talked about the fact that he doesn't accept press trips. And at VinePair, we do, but we're very clear with the publicists that if we accept that trip, we make no guarantees of writing about the subject matter that they're bringing us on the press trip for, and that we're probably going to find a subject matter to write about that has nothing to do with the press trip that they brought us on. Right. So like we might, they might, we might be brought to a town as part of the trip to see a winery and we write about the town instead of writing about the winery. Mm-hmm. And maybe we mention the winery in the copy or whatever. But I think it's really interesting because it, it's, it's this, it's a sneaky way of advertising that alcohol has seemed to get away, gotten, have gotten away with for a very long time that I just think consumers don't know about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I will say this. It's really – it's interesting for me working as both a, a sommelier and wine buyer and also as a, a quasi-journalist, I guess, um, that you know, you get a lot of this sort of you know solicitation, I guess for lack of a better word, from – um, yeah, whether it's sort of wine tourism boards or, or um, you know, individual producers or whatnot. And it's always very hard for me. It's not hard for me. I'd say it requires a certain delicacy to say, like, thank you for considering me. But for the most part, this is not a thing I can do. Because, you know, from for, as a as my, uh, from my perspective as a buyer, like my wine program is not for sale. Like I don't you can, you know, I'm happy to taste your wine i'm happy to meet you for a lot of people it is for sale oh 100 percent. and it's it's actually really you know for there's a ton of that in this industry and it's really kind of was was sort of uh, shocking to me when i got started because for one thing there's you know there's a lot of restaurants in in any city where because there's not someone who knows a whole lot about wine involved they're happy to kind of either pass off their their responsibility at creating a wine list or cocktail list or spirits program or even beer program to someone who seemingly knows better or who will cut them a deal or for whom they will ju- from whom they will just get some sort of perk um and that can be a big thing or a little thing depending on the kind of venue they're working um but it is really there's a lot of wine programs beer programs and cocktail programs that are essentially for sale to the highest bidder in any given restaurant and i mean that's you know does it serve the customer very well i don't think so um no you know, but but it's also but but go ahead adam well sorry Zach. no you're good no no, no you're good i got nothing i got I'm, I, I said my piece for the moment well, I, I mean, I want, I want, I wanted, to th- I wanted to jump on sort of this topic that I think Jamie Good wrote about on his, uh, in his blog this week. Um, you know, you should have published that with us. So, Jamie, if you listen, uh, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, they would have paid but, you um, some money. Yeah, we would have, man. You write for us already. Why are you publishing that on your blog? But I mean, basically, what he talks about, which I think is really interesting in the whole examination of this pay to play, is that you know. When we when when writers do take these trips, when psalms take these trips, when buyers at wine shops take these trips, 
you're treated like a fucking god. Like it is insane, right? You get access to things you've never gotten access to before. You basically get to pretend that you are, you know, axe in billions, right? Like mm-hmm. you might get taken in a helicopter. You are. Oh man, you've been you on know, better trips than me, <laughs> dude. I have not been in a helicopter. Billionaire. Come on, dude. Seriously, they 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 send you to crazy dinners. They they put you up in crazy hotels. And there's an access that I think for a lot of people feels really important. And I think what you have to do as a journalist, which we really try to do, is separate ourselves from that and say, like, this is yeah, cool, but, like, come on, like, calm down, calm down, calm down, act like you've been here before, and also don't act – don't pretend that – or don't don't say that by getting this access, you should give someone something, right? Yeah. Although that's hard. Like, we all understand that. But what Jamie talks about is that there are, for a lot of people in this industry – this feeling that you want that access again. So you can never speak ill of something, Mm -hmm. right? So there's a reason that a lot of really fancy wines we won't name, spirits we won't name, beers we won't name, always get good reviews from certain publications we won't name, uh, always get really good write-ups from certain publications we won't name, always get put on lists from certain restaurants we won't name, because those people who are associated with those publications, restaurants, et cetera, get access to this really cool experience that they want to have access to again the next year. Yeah. And if they give a bad review or don't put it on their list this year, et cetera, they won't get that access again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's really interesting because we have to admit like everyone's human and this exists and it's a really easy way to get, you know, for a producer to get things to happen, but it's also fucked up. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's a bad part of the industry. Like our belief in at Vine Pair is like, if you have a certain message that you want to get out, Buy a fucking ad. Yeah. I'm more than happy to sell you a sponsor, a piece of sponsored content. You know, like if if you want me to write about why your vineyard is the best vineyard in the world, buy an ad. Yeah. You know, like if, if that's the one, if that's the one message you want to get across. But I, the industry, and and I think you know, you had a podcast before this, so I'm curious about your perspective. Like the industry, especially in the drinks world, is has so many bloggers in it mm-hmm. that. And influencers, there's almost like a a point where the the people get away, you know, the producers, the publicists, that get away with just getting doing pay for play with these people, and their followers are none the wiser. Yeah. Well, I want to say two things about this. So the first is that, like, I think there is a there's a complicated factor here, when, especially when it comes to to trips and things like that, which is like. You know, a lot of the people, whether they're sommeliers or writers, you know, if you don't, if you're not Eric Asimov and you don't write for the New York Times or a few other publications with real budgets, you know, you may have a difficult time getting to some of the places in the world or even within the country that you might be interested in in writing about um, or talking about or whatever your medium is without um, some, you know, without being, you know, sort of uh, selected for one of these trips. That said, you that does not um, excuse you from suddenly, you know, kind of abdicating your responsibility, whether you're a writer, a a podcaster, or a sommelier, in exercising critical judgment and not just immediately turning around and promoting or buying a wine because someone took you somewhere. And I think, you know, the the good producers, the good trips, the good publicists, and all those people understand that, you know, they're not going to, they, they should not expect to get a certain, you know, if you're arranging to give them a certain kind of coverage or a certain kind of placement on your wine program um, for a trip, then you're doing something that is disingenuous and, and really harmful to your readers, or your customers, or whatever kind of uh, space you're in. So that there is that part, and 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 I have a certain appreciation and understanding that like 
those kinds of trips allow for a firsthand experience in wine in particular and, and beverage in general is a thing that sometimes cannot be understood merely from tasting a thing. You know, going to the winery, going to the region, understanding it um, is crucial to understanding a lot of these products. So so I, I have sympathy there. And not all of us can afford to fly to, to Italy or South Africa or Australia or wherever. The flip side of that, though, is that there is a lot of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, we'll keep this sort of symbiosis going, you'll keep providing me access to these cool experiences, the stuff that makes me feel like I'm a member of of an in-club, like I'm, you know, like I have a, a wealth that goes far beyond my actual, you know, it's connections, even if it's not actual money. And that stuff is the part that to me is unseemly. And and it can go big time, big time, like what Jamie was writing about with, you know, the, the, the really, really high-end producers yeah, of Bordeaux. Totally. And it can be small-scale shit with like, you know, you're stand you know you're kind of half-rate influencer who just wants to get like a free glass of wine when they show up to their favorite winery in sonoma or whatever oh, dude, like, let's talk about fucking influencers right now Do okay you know how well many i brought times... i said the ma- we said the bad words both of yeah. us but like you know like I, seriously but you're right they just want a free glass of wine they show up in sonoma tasting room and and that's but that's also rampant right there's so many times when when we launched reader trips, we would get applications from influencers being like, yo, uh, I'm a really good influencer and you should totally let me come on your trip for free and I'll write about yep. it. And I was like, what will you do? Um, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's this thing. It's, it's what's interesting about it is it's important to talk about, but I think it's one of these things that is important to talk about because for me coming from my background in the music industry, it was always really well known the music industry had payola, right? Like mm-hmm. it was, we've had lawsuits against it. We've, we've talked about it pretty openly. Um, you know, in the music business, we know that people pay to get their records played on the radio. We, you know, who, who knows if people are playing, paying now to get good reviews on Pitchfork or Spotify, but we knew that at least back in the day, right? You paid a lot of money, your single got played on the radio and the money you paid wasn't usually money. It was like, Hey, I'm going to like literally this was so when I was working in Atlanta, uh, when I first got in the music business, I was working at a radio station and literally like the, the station director told me like the way that it would work was a record label would come and say, we want to sponsor a giveaway to your audience. Right. So we want to give away like a living room set and you know, you're going to auction off on the audience, just ninth caller or whatever, but we're going to give you guys two living room sets and you can keep the second one. Just play the single. And the, you know, the program director would be like, cool, just got a brand new living room furniture set. That's awesome. And I, I think it, you know, it exists in a lot of industries and it, it exists in alcohol very prevalently, but the consumer is just completely unaware of it. And, yeah. you know, how do we clean this shit up? Because I have a huge problem with it. Like I'm drinking this wine right now and I will for sure tell you that this wine I was taking to dinner. They paid for it. They gave it to me. I'm enjoying it, but it was paid for, guys. I didn't pay for this wine. Yeah. And there has to be some sort of, you know, quality control that we hold each ourselves to in this business or else we're not doing right by the consumer. Yeah. Well, I think there's a problem in – and I don't know. You, you might be able to tell me after I say this if it was true in music too. But, but I think there's a problem in the beverage alcohol space where people – 
so don't trust their own judgment. And so they want to they want to turn to someone else. But they also, you know, a lot of these influencers sort of get their they have their angle as like, oh, I'm just a normal person, right? I'm just an everyday, you know, whatever pick your angle and and you know, a lot of them are, you know, sort of portray themselves as just just like you or me, but they just happen to have, you know, 50,000 Instagram followers or whatever. And um I don't think that's necessarily true and i'm not sure that those are the people that realistically you should be looking to for for advice because while yes there's a certain appeal in you know or it's a, i should say they they in some ways provide an interesting and maybe occasionally appreciated counterbalance to people who are professionals in the beverage space they don't generally know what the fuck they're talking about and even when they're not no they don't even when they're not taking money and promoting oh, a product shit. directly they're still like you know i i mean sadly like I'm sure like you, I certainly follow some of these people on social media. I see much more of it than than I follow because it pops up as ads and shit. And it's like, you know, these are people who are promoting for the most part, whomever sent them something free, which like, totally. you know, if your criteria for what wine you talk about is the thing that showed up in the mail, like go to a fucking wine shop and spend a so little bit a of money. So do a lot of writers, man. So do a lot of writers. We're such fucking haters. Well, it, to me, it's just like, I guess what it comes down to is like, if you're, you know, it's like when someone is is advertising or not advertising, they're talking about, you know, some of the mass produced wine that like Eric Asimov was talking about, or just that is that is out there that is of comparable scope and quality. Like, fine, but like, you know, why are you taking advice from someone who is recommending a wine that that is made in millions of bottles, if not cases, and like. You know, these people are getting – I mean, the sad thing is these people are sort of selling themselves out in often cases for, like, literally just some free product. It's not even like – they're not getting paid. Some of them are. You know, the really, really, really successful ones are getting paid a little bit. Often it's just free shit. And it's like, you know, you kind of have to ask yourself on, on both ends, like, is your integrity worth a few free bottles of wine? Okay, well, maybe if you don't take what you're doing all that seriously. But – as a consumer, is it really worth it to you to be making purchasing decisions based solely on what, you know, a wine producer or distributor or, you know, promotion, uh, com- you know, PR company is willing to send some random person in Brooklyn? Like, I, who the fuck knows? But yeah, I mean, it's not how I'd make my decisions. Well, I, the way the way that I'd say is like, look, if you want to follow someone, if you want to follow us, hopefully you do. I mean, look, first of all, I got to say. Total total tangent off our subject, but man, fucking blown away by all the amazing emails that people have sent to podcast at vinepair.com telling us how much they love the podcast. So thank you. If it's you, what's keeping Adam awake right now, folks. It's, your it's, your positive feedback. It's and just it's, the there's energy. been a lot of it. It's just the fair. energy. Yeah. But if you if you want to follow us and you want to listen to what we have to say, awesome. I'm super humbled by that. If you want to follow someone else, great. Just the person you follow, make sure that once in a while, like us, they are fucking honest and say when something's paid for and when it's not. Yeah. And And it's not even to say that something paid for is inherently bad. I mean, I have gotten... It's not. Yeah. I've gotten occasional free wine sent to me or certainly samples from, from producers. It's fucking delicious. But... 
I would never not disclose that fact if I were if I were to talk about it. And and again, yeah, that's where it all comes down to is, you know, what we, we ask for is not that every single person who's interacting with beverage alcohol not take anything for free. We can't all work for the New York Times. We don't all have their resources. And frankly, we don't all have their editorial standards. And in some ways, exactly. I think that's not a bad thing. But it is important for you all as listeners and as consumers to note when people are disclose are honest truthful and you can take what they say i think with a with a fair degree of of confidence if they are honest about when they are getting stuff for free and if they are not honest about that and you have doubts about it and you maybe even ask them about it and you don't get a compelling answer that's when it's time to start wondering like what is this person's angle because a lot of people who get into this influencer game are really just in it for free shit which like hey who doesn't love free wine but like is that really the the whole point of this? Like, if your if your only goal is to get shit for free, I guess congratulations, you probably will succeed, especially if you have a certain, let's say, look. But um, you are not going to necessarily do anything of positive value for your followers. Yeah, I think this is a good rule, right? Like, if if you follow someone in the alcohol industry and they do not work for the New York Times, <laughs> and every once in a while they do not post that something was paid for, that they were on a trip courtesy of some, you know, region or producer or brand. They're a fucking joke and stop following them because everyone is getting a little bit of payola in the alcohol industry. And if people don't admit it, then you know what? You fucking suck and you don't deserve to be, influencing the next generation of drinkers and it's time for you to go because we need clarity in this business because I don't want to just drink things because someone told me it's good because someone paid for them to have foie gras lunch with with an amazing Sauterne. And I get that the access is cool. I get that like, you know, you got to have this really special Chateau experience, et cetera. But I don't want you to write about it if it was actually lame, man, if like the wine wasn't good, if the, the spirits wasn't good. I mean, there's a publication that actually put out their media kit recently that said that you can pay $5,000 for an amazing beer review and they will actually give you a positive beer review if you just pay them $5,000. It's a prominent beer publication. Like we got to stop this shit in, in the world of alcohol because yeah. the people – you know, I hope are wanting to look at publications and influencers and, you know, professionals, whether they be mixologists or, you know, Cicerones, but I mean, who's a Cicerone, but, you know, <laughs> be, be, you know, beer professionals or wine professionals. And they want to think that like the, the recommendations being made to them is pure. And I'm hoping that we're shedding a little bit of light today that, that recommendation may not be, and you should you should you should look at it critically, and you should yes. you should really learn to trust the people that you trust, because if you don't, and you just take everything at face value, this industry is shady, man. Yeah. Oh, there's there's a lot of dark dark places in it, and uh, and a lot of people who are more than willing to hang out in them. And it, and I think that last point you made is a really good one, which is. The single most important thing that you as a consumer can have is a healthy dose of skepticism about what anyone is recommending to you. And that's not to mean – that doesn't mean be combative. It just means be vigilant because, yeah, there's a lot of shit out there and there's a lot of people who are more than happy to try and sell it to you. Um, 
whether or not they believe in it. Completely agree. All right, man. So this has been a super enlightening conversation. Hopefully we have helped you all out there uh, realize that there is more to pay attention to than just what is written about on the page. Um, And as always, thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure. It is 12, 12 in the morning. I got to go to bed. Uh, I got a little bit more of this wine to drink, although that might be a bad idea. I'm going to wake up tomorrow with a headache. Can't wait for it. That's why I brought <laughs> Airborne. And uh, thank you all for listening. If you have any thoughts, email us at podcast.findpair.com. And Zach, I will talk to you right here again next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast.findpair.com. And if you really love the show, We'd love if you'd rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is recorded in New York City at VinePair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Jawal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Gridberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week.